Stay sure the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Jim Jam. As always, I'm Scoot Magoo. And uh, we are here talking about a uh, a topic, amazingly enough, as if we hey. don't talk about things for an hour. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, that's podcast. unique. That's unique. I know, we right? don't have topics. I know. Th- uh, this week in particular, we're not just going to sit on our hands and just kind of, you know, let you listen to silence. Uh, we're, we're not covering 433 the, this episode. That's that'll be our next episode i feel like um, we kind of miss an opportunity there to just have like dead air for a certain amount of time in that episode i, I, I don't know if you remember i would joke about that that like if, if you pause for too long i'd be like dead air dead air dead air <laughs> well because yeah i mean i yeah. i often talk like you all kind of think mid oh I, I i would do it to just to just shit on you so no but, but um, like yeah i definitely i mean this was in the early days of the podcast i've definitely improved so that i don't just kind of like trail off for that long i'm a little bit more yeah ready to go um anyway so as opposed to because normally we will talk about uh, a specific album or genre or what have you uh we're talking about more of a topic um you know about music as a whole as opposed to uh a specific musician or piece of music uh, which is, we, we do this from time to time. We felt like, you know, it was nice to have like sort of a little break from um, what will be a pretty intense next two weeks where we'll be doing anniversaries and listening. And there's just uh, reviews for October. And October is just massive this year. So um, in terms of in terms of new releases. So we'll, we'll yeah. yeah. Anyway. And, and I, we, I feel like what's interesting about this topic is, I don't know. I feel like usually when we bring something to the table, I, I kind of know where I stand before we start talking. And then I'm just curious to hear what you're saying. But I think I I shifted in kind of preparing. I mean, we did some light preparation. We, it's not like we read a book or anything. You know, there were a couple articles you shared. Um, yeah. I actually listened to the, a podcast that Fantano did with, I don't remember what, what he was from, but uh, they talked about it. And I'm kind of, I'm more mixed on this. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts. So. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're, we're we're talking about uh poptimism. Um you know, by, uh last week in our uh book club about uh meet me in the bathroom, I think I mentioned offhandedly, I can't remember the exact context, but I was like, you know, sort of how poptimism is kind of like this flawed mentality, but you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um we just were like we should do a poptimism episode at some point. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, like Scott, like you just said, like Scott just said, um we did a little bit of research, not a ton. I, I I didn't listen to that podcast. Um, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, honestly, but, I, I just Google optimism on YouTube to yeah, see if see, there was I, any. Yeah, I I did the same thing. I just looked through some articles. So I mean, I specifically looked through. Um, uh, so basically, what's considered like sort of the manifesto of optimism, which is uh, an article called "The Rap Against uh, Rockism" by. Uh, Kalefas uh, Sane, I believe, is her name, uh, which was back uh, in the New York Times in 2004. Uh, after that, uh, there's an article in New York Times Magazine by Sol Austerlitz called The uh, Pernicious Rise of Poptimism. That was in 2014. And then finally, um, Michael Hahn from The Quietus wrote uh, this article called uh, Is Poptimism Now as Blinkered as the Rockism It Replaced? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I guess we should probably talk about, like, a little bit of background about, like, what it actually is before we kind of dive into thoughts and whatnot. So, um, I mean, I, I feel like the, there's there's sort of a simple story and there's uh, a more complicated story here. The simple story, uh, the simple definition of this is that basically optimism is, is, you know, saying that pop music is deserving of, you know, critical um uh analysis and it's you know um it, it's it's just as worth of merit as as you know a piece of art as anything else as any other music out there um but i guess the more complicated version is that it's more like 
I, I, I see th- this is it's such a weird gray area because you have all of these different critics kind of um, shooting off about, you know, different aspects of this in sort of yeah. different ways. It's 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 kind of it's interesting. It's one of those uh, it's not unique to this specific topic, but it's one of those topics yeah. where I feel like where you stand and and how like it will inform how you'll define it and how you'll define it in terms of is, yes. is it a positive or a negative because That's, i think inherent yeah inherently i think it's a pretty neutral idea i mean i guess it kind of favors pop music in the sense that you're saying that just because something's popular it doesn't mean that it you know it, it doesn't mean yeah. it's not worth oh, critical examination know, and, and i feel like how we define pop is something I actually kind of want to jump on in a little bit. Yeah. Um, because but I, I think... Yeah. Oh, wait, I was wait, just going to say, like, I, I think yeah. that it's one of those... I mean, we talk a lot about how some genre tags are... I mean, candidly, I think metal probably does genre tags the best because, like, they're pretty... <laughs> they're pretty specific. Like, death metal. Okay, you get it. Yeah. Like, you know, you get it. Whereas, like, alternative pop... Like, I think pop is one of the least... Because... You know, there's music that's popular that's not pop music, and I, I know that sounds like a, like a dumb, pretty obvious observation, but it kind of makes discussing poptimism a little because even the pop artists yeah. that that um, you know, like, like I really like the Village Voice article, and you know, she was he was talking about you know Selena Gomez and Beyonce and Drake all in the same breath, and I would argue that all three of those artists come from different. Especially, you know, like Drake and all the pop artists I mentioned. I mean, they're on different ends of the spectrum. And I think, I, you know, and that article also mentioned hip hop, and hip hop complicates this a lot because I think hip hop is arguably one, probably the most, the most single most popular genre in America right now. Early, in you know, the world, and, maybe. Yeah, yeah, probably Honestly. even. So, um, yeah, it just yeah. it's difficult to nail it down. It's, yeah. it's definitely a difficult thing. I, um, I, I, I didn't shout out that Village Voice article. I forgot who wrote it. But um, because I I read through it and I didn't really find a whole lot that I that I could sort of grab onto in a way, um, so I kind of just nixed it from from my notes. Um, but there is a Village Voice article on it. I suggest people check it out if they're interested in this. Want to you know kind of explore more. Um, but I, I, all this to say is that I think part of what makes this conversation complicated is is like you said that and you make a really good point that just it it is very dependent on sort of where you already stand. Um, but from what I'm able to gather, and I'm trying to say this as neutral as possible is basically just that this sort of poptimism, and especially in this, uh, this Santa article in the New York times back in 2004, um, is kind of more of reaction to this prevailing trend of rockism where, you know, basically the tenets that make up rock and roll and sort of this idea of like authenticity, um, you know, are, you know, I, I would say authenticity and, you know, not like, I, I, I guess, anti-commercial success almost are, are kind of, you know, the guiding points of that. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess if you want to put it in really simple terms, it's kind of like um, boomer, um, you know, <laughs> kind of kind of like dad rock mentality, I guess. Um, that like, you know, and I, I think I'm trying to remember who it, I think it was, um, Saul Osterlitz's article where he described, um, sort of rockism as like, uh, it, it's like rolling stone disease, I think is, is how he described it where it's, it, it's like, um, you know, sort of basically praising the likes of, you know, um, you know, Dylan and the rolling stones, you know, and basically saying that, you know, that that's the epitome and nothing else would come close to it and nothing else. And, you know, like something, you know, I think, I think they were, he was using, I think, um, it was, yeah, it was like Dylan and like the stones as opposed to listening to, you know, in praising some like people like Marvin Gaye or Madonna, even though mm. they've all made, you know, considerable, um, you know, uh, efforts, you know, and, uh, I don't know where my words are right now. Um, they make considerable contributions to music as a whole, um, basically. And so I, I, all this to say is that optimism is kind of like, uh, you know, very reactionary stance towards that, saying that, yeah, no, that's not true, basically. And that, you know, so it, it, it's it's almost like an inverse of it, 
in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, so I, I guess this is where we kind of jump in with thoughts. I think before we kind of jump in, I kind of want to talk about what we were just kind of talking about briefly is sort of what defines pop. Because I think for a lot of these articles, they're talking about um, you know, sort of pop being, you know, the likes of, you know, Madonna and, you know, R&B singers and ba- basically everything that isn't rock. And I think that and it's it's kind of funny because when I when I first heard about Poptimism, um, I really thought it was more broader than that, that it was almost like anything, you know, including rock and roll, including hip hop against, uh, you know, sort of the you know, sort of established like gatekeepers sort of of like, you know, academic classical music and like so-called new music and things like that, that, you know, basically that, you know, a Joy Division album has as much importance and should be talked about as importantly as like a Beethoven sonata. Yeah. Um, I I mean, that's how I looked at it. And I was very misinformed. So (laughs) for for me, it's, it's an interesting conversation only because, uh, kind of to to your point it's a little i mean it's not a little it's it's very subjective like what constitutes pop music because mm. you know if you if you look at you know pitchforks coverage for example i mean there are a ton of art pop indie pop artists you know synth pop that kind of fall in the under the indie umbrella who are you know they make pop music you know pop music generally being like catchy simple you know, usually electronic tunes. And even that's a bad definition. Um, but I think I noticed it first in terms of the, the kind of the, 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 the famousness or the, you know, the, the, the acclaim or the, the popular appeal of artists that kind of fall in that genre. So the first artist that really, I, I kind of raised my eyebrows at, not necessarily a bad way, because I don't necessarily dislike their music, but just uh, it was odd to see the general indie blogosphere covering it. it was Carly Rae Jepsen. I, you know, it is obviously... so funny you say that, because I was thinking of Carly Rae Jepsen as well. No, like it was very odd that when I think it was emotion, I, that, I think for sure that yeah. was the record. L- l- like where... people couldn't give less of a shit when, uh, when you know, Call Me Maybe was was out but they they did but it it was like the the quirky radio hit but suddenly emotion exactly it wasn't just uh you know like oh this is cute like it actually started making your endless it got positive reviews and again i didn't necessarily have a you know a negative opinion about the i don't think i've ever even listened to it it just was odd to see because i think what this whole discussion is centered around is that this kind of music just isn't covered is or historically was not covered was not respected um or at least at least in modern music, you know, music criticism. Yeah, it, you, you mentioned it, people like, and I, and I, I think first, you know, sorry to interrupt. I, I, um, I think when we say respect, I think we're we're talking more about you know music critics, uh, being able to sort of talk about this intelligently instead of you know kind of just dismissing it as oh you know it's it's not you know real music in a way yeah. you know being able to. Uh, put it under the scalpel for good or bad, uh, which I, I think that in itself is another conversation too that we can dive into later. That you know, I think a lot of people, you know, again, it's optimism. It's not, you know, uh, it's 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 not pessimism with pop. You know, yeah, and, and I, I think from there you start to notice, uh, obviously Beyonce. I mean, she, she's such a phenomenon. Mm. It's, it's really not surprising to see, you know, her being covered. Um, Solange, you know, kind of the same. And actually, I think even Solange's record came out the same year Lemonade did, and it, it, it got even more acclaim in some circles. I think I think it outclassed Solange's new re- record, or that record, whatever it was called, ranked above Beyonce on some lists. Um, and then other people like Ariana Grande, I feel like it really the floodgates have been opened. And I think... The one anecdote I'd want to share in terms of, of what you know when it gives me pause, um, I think the Carly Rae Jepsen that was when I noticed it as a thing. When I noticed it as something that might potentially be bad or have kind of ulterior motives, because remember, you know, a lot of like Pitchfork's owned by Condé Nast now. You know, they're owned by a larger company. There's, a, there's some kind of mainstream channels that they're serving at this point. Uh, it was actually back in 2014 
which was was a great year for music. St. Vincent self-titled, uh, Run the Jewels 2, Pharmacon, Bestial Burden. Um, you know, it was a pretty strong year for music. Uh, Swans, To Be Kind. Uh, oh, man, yeah. Um, and I remember looking at the 2014 list, and at 31, Taylor Swift 1989 was mm. included. And I was like, that's bizarre. And it was included in front of, you know, Ben Frost, Aurora, which received best, best in music, you know, self-titled Clark, best in music, Shellac, Andy Stott, best in music, uh, Mad Lib, Freddie Gibbs, Vignata, uh, Owen Palette and Complex, Ott, more than any other day, best in music, Cloud Nothing's here and somewhere else, best in music. And I, and I actually, their ratings are not a hundred percent up to the writers. I know someone wrote for Pitchfork. So that's kind of why you see the weird, not just like, on like the fives and the zeros like they, they mm. do adjust scores. So there is like, I know, you know, for some sites you can say different author, different score, but that's not always true for pitchfork. The thing that really caught my eye was the fact that they didn't even review 1989. They didn't, re- <laughs> they didn't review it at all in 2014, but somehow it made it almost to the midpoint of their top 50. And then later on in 2019, they did a series where they reviewed all of her, albums and they only gave it a 7.7 so that i think i think the negativity around optimism for me is that it feels like you know is this trying you know is this trying to give equal footing to pop music or is it understanding that when you cover a larger artist when you cover them positively that drives clicks that drives you know that brings in a different audience that that is a big part of this conversation, definitely, yeah. because you know, just I think given sort of um, the way the internet has kind of taken you know music criticism and you know, I, I don't want to say just perverted it, but it's definitely changed it and not exactly for the better in many ways. And I I think, but you I think you can say that of a lot of different things. You know, I think just in terms of news media, even. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, they, I, I, it all comes down to the idea that, you know, clicks equal ad revenue equals money, you know. And so you, you know, and clicks equal attention, even though it that, that's not really entirely true. But, I mean, it's it's the best qualifier that we have right now, basically, w- w- without, you know, completely going all Google on you and tracking everything you do. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big part of that conversation for sure. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's, you know, are they, is it, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you you have to call into question whether, like how genuine, um, you know, some of this is, um, you know, I, I personally, you know, it's, I, I guess my, my biggest takeaway here, um, you know, not to kind of, you know, spoil things too far, you know, ahead. But um, I, I, I guess I just find it, um, it, it you know, th- there's, regardless of if I'm thinking about politics or what have you, there's always one phrase that always comes back to me. And it's from um, uh, from The Who, you know, it's uh, Won't Get Fooled Again. And it's it, the, the final words, and it's, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. <laughs> and um yeah and it's and i i that's kind of the way i'm viewing optimism is just that it's it, it's just rockism 2.0 basically is that there I, I all it is is just rockism with a different coat of paint to me and it, it's just yeah like so I, I i wrote down a bunch of quotes from some of the articles um and probably the one that um probably most speaks right now is uh from uh michael hans article on uh the quietest it just says uh ideologies congeal they cease to be alternatives and become um, hegemonies yeah i I can never say that word right so um where once they sought to change the debate they come to dictate it they become the pigs at the end of animal farm adopting all the grisly grisly accoutrement of whatever they come to supplant that's as true in music as it is in politics. It happened with punk. It happened with Britpop. Movements that became that were insurgent became establishment. They were codified with their own set of rules about what and what was not acceptable. And 
Yeah, so that's kind of my biggest thing here is just sort of the the hypocritical irony involved with this that, you know, you have these people sort of decrying that, you know, rockism is destroying, you know, like is, is you know, unfair and, you know, pop, you know, that, that like pop groups deserve, you know, acts and whatnot. But now you're kind of doing the same thing. Like it, it just feels just as heavy handed now, like against rock, basically, <laughs> which was a big part of uh, Austerlitz's article actually was just kind of how the roles kind of reversed pretty fast. Um, that I, I, I don't know how, what you think about that, but that that's just kind of what interests me. I think that, and um, this is probably the bigger thing that I don't really understand is that we're having all of these conversations about, you know, mainstream music. Whereas, you know, at the same time, we still have this major, major dichotomy between you know, um, you know, classical music and new music and sort of, um, you know, the sort of the academic musics of the world and, you know, sort of mainstream music. And no, nobody, it, it doesn't feel like anybody really cares about that dichotomy, even though it's, I, I think it's a big thing because like, you know, it's, it's one of the, like, I, I feel like thanks to the internet, it's, it's being really really broken down and dismantled more but people are still really trying to keep it intact despite the fact that a lot of people who are you know like there are a lot of composers right now or at least people who would consider themselves composers who are really dismantling things and sort of bringing in ideas of electronic music and more pop sensibility and things like that into their own work which is usually very avant-garde or very academic or very you know quote-unquote high art you know, and it's, it, I think it's just funny that it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, like, you know, everybody like it, it, it's 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 kind of like, you know, the powers that like the powers that be are kind of distracting everybody almost like like <laughs> the, like the true gatekeepers are like, you know, sort of pointing in a different direction and everybody's kind of looking there and sort of squabbling amongst themselves while the true gatekeepers kind of, you know, do their own thing and keep the machine running. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like after saying that, I feel like I should probably, you know, find some tinfoil to make a hat, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, um, I mean, you presented a lot of interesting points. Uh, I, I mean, I think in general, this conversation is as old as time and it really is, is rooted in, you know the the tug of war between you know pretension and you know being a a, pl a pleb so to speak you know yeah. i think it goes back to i mean you, you could find all sorts of negative reviews of now classic artists you know like especially early metal you know early i mean you could you know find a popular artist from back in the day they received a negative review but it's 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 the it's the continual march of time but i i, I think that also is rooted in what's popular. I mean, now, you know, rock, you know, classic rock bands are kind of established at this point, but at one time they were contemporary. And mm. I think that what makes this argument kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, I see both sides is I feel like just because I feel like you shouldn't like popular music, it's kind of come full circle, and I want to use a band that's not a pop band, but you remember Amir? Yeah, yeah, they were like, like basically just chug a lug, break down, like just like one of one of the most yeah, like, like quintessential deathcore, yeah. but not in a good but, way. But like even worse, like uh, the Acacia Strain at least had like they took some cues from Meshuggah. They had a little like not only was Amir's music insanely simple, but also like the their whole persona and their lyrics were terrible. Somewhere along the line, they it kind of went full circle. Well, that we're now, and I feel like this is true about a lot of you know core music. Now, if you like, it used to be cool to hate on them, but now if you do, you're just seen as like a hater and like pretentious, and you're not adding anything to the discourse. So I feel like that's kind of the argument we're having now with with you know acceptance of mainstream pop music is mm. like is it you know you try to like actually critique because I, I think the Village Voice article. I really liked how he presented it. That um, was it. I thought it was a, a woman who wrote that. 
right? Oh, well, in that case, mm-hmm. I need to apologize. Hashtag. I, I, I think, but I mean, we're not... Uh, yes, Claire. I, mean, I don't know many men named Claire. Well, hashtag canceled. It's been, it's been nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it, it was a good run, Scott. <laughs> I know. No, but no, I, I think Claire, she, the, the person, made a great point that it's it truly is it should be about equal footing is that you you shouldn't yeah. write off you know you shouldn't write off the new dua lipa record which i, I actually really like dua lipa um i'm not ashamed to say that i don't <laughs> pleasures, but i think i think she writes makes some really great pop music but you know not all of her songs are great i think that it it makes sense to treat it like music because it is music because it's interesting how you know there are some synth pop indie pop bands over the years who um i think carly ray jepson kind of like she's a weird middle ground where like call me maybe was like a weird crossover hit but she was more or less an indie pop darling you know in the underground for a while and she makes music that sounds like like it's on the radio but in general is somewhat underground um i don't know i mean i i I like this conversation. I'm glad that we're like we're talking about it because I don't know if it's as cut and dry, and it, it really it, it really de- isn't. It also it, like like you said at one point, it really depends on your vantage point. I remember there was a a back and forth between two music critics who, um, one was basically saying that like you need to talk about like the, you know, the deep like underlying musical, like. Basically, I think this was like traditional classical music critic who was talking about how, you know, music music is too much about emotion, is too too non-critical these days, and that like critics don't have to they should they should have to understand, you know, the music theory behind it. And I feel like that is a version of like the people who are against covering mainstream pop. I mean, would they be on the wrong side of that conversation too? Like, I feel like it dep- depending on your vantage point, you might think that you, you're either going to look, look at one side and find people who are plebs and one side you, you find are like pretentious. It just depends where you are in the continuum, how many people are mm. on the pleb side and how many people are on the pretentious side. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, it's, yeah, see, that, that that's kind of my other takeaway from this is is just like, this this argument's kind of stupid almost <laughs> just like I, I, what i mean is that um you know uh, like, like i'm i'm gonna quote uh you know uh han again here uh it's a long quote but okay like music shouldn't be about taking sides of course it shouldn't and we all know that which is why most of us bar the most genre lawyer um why does this say oh okay i don't know why i most of us bar the most genre loyalist are happy to have multiple styles of music in our homes. We might even listen to Taylor Swift and Bob Dylan in the fall on the same day. Most people aren't rockist or poptimist. They just listen to music and they like it or they don't. But people are people. Opinions might be shaped by the tone of a debate or even by the fact that the debate is happening. If 5,000 think pieces appear about Beyonce in any given week, by the end of that week, an awful lot of people are going to feel the need to have an opinion about Beyonce, just as a previous generation felt they had to have an opinion about Dylan. Poptimists need to return to asking the same questions they did when they questioned rockism. Does this record have merit beyond the name of its maker? Am I assessing it in lines with a set of my own prejudices or on its own merits? Is this album's worth defined by its status or its content? Poptimism was a way of interrogating the way people thought about music about asking them to challenge their own preconceptions and their own confirmation biases about what did and did not constitute good music. Now it's its own set of preconceptions and confirmation biases. And that's no use to optimism, to good critical thinking, or to music itself. The creatures outside looked from optimist to rockist, and from rockist to optimist, and from optimist to rockist again. But already it was impossible to say which was which. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, I, but Basil had a lot of thoughts about that. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Basil's just a, a pure rockist. Just <laughs> like, like if 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 it's not, it, you know, it, it like it has to be blood on the tracks. Like it's not even like uh, like Highway 61 revisited. You know, <laughs> 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 like pretentious. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but but yeah, they I, I just I mean the the thing is like that I think that's sort of my takeaway about a lot of things is just like why are we having this debate when we can just enjoy listening to music? <laughs> and like yeah. I, 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 I know how dismissive that must seem, but like I don't know. I, I I'm like like music is one of those things that, that like on a regular basis keeps me alive in a way and like I owe a lot of debt to it and I feel like my life is made like immeasurably better by its existence and so I don't personally want to have to you know fight some dickhead on the internet about you know what whether this frame of you know methodology is is correct or not when i could just be fucking listening to music (laughs) yeah exactly and i I think um you know the general idea that we should treat music at a level playing field and not just just because it's on the radio doesn't mean you should disqualify that Um, you know i think that's good and i I think we all know we all know a, a good faith review when we read it we we know when someone is going in with an agenda and is going to pan something and, and again i think there's value in negative reviews but it depends like is it constructive is it well thought out or is it just you know this fucking sucks this is trash for like a thousand words um but yeah i mean i, I i've just i mean i think there used to be a time that i i, I think we, we've talked about this briefly so I, I i won't dive into this you know but like i think there there was a time I used to care about whether a review was positive or negative or what have you, but I, I just don't care anymore. Like, you know, and, and when we review stuff, I, I'm more talking about my own experiences with it, not necessarily like, oh, in the great pantheon of music, you know, where will this be in a hundred years? You know, <laughs> I like I, I'm not I, I'm just I mean, part of it is just I, I, I don't really know if I have the, you know, wisdom or you know um i guess education to make that claim but i think also i just don't care (laughs) yeah and and i think someone like you know just pitchforks is is a good example to use just because of they're basically our rolling stone for millennials at this point yeah i don't know if they would disagree with that but you can tell (laughs) when someone their reviews like like when when they give a score close to zero usually it's like okay this is you know like I just, and then you read the review, and it's like, super... or, or or just like the use of decimal points. <laughs> yeah, which, which again, I, I I truly think that must be, you know, writers give it. I mean, like if someone generally is like, you know what, this feels like a seven point four. It's like, okay, okay, I don't. I I I just want to see like how many decimal places we're gonna go to, you know, like oh, like, I, like I, if, I... if like. <laughs> To try to like shake things up and be fresh, they introduce a second second decimal place. Yeah, like this it, is actually it, like a seven point four six. Yeah, it's 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 much more definitive. It's much more objective that way of a review. God, that so would you, be, you really get the idea. That would be um, amazing, but, and by amazing, yeah, I mean awful. I mean, it, it's 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 it for some reason. Um, when Twitter did, didn't Twitter like double their character count or something like that, or, like, they, they increased it. Like, it just kind of oh, reminds yeah. me of that, that, yeah, that it's no, like, sure. oh, so, so you're just giving people, like, more of an ability to be a dick. <laughs> yeah. Basically. I mean, I will say the one area, and this is, um, this is kind of maybe taking a little bit of liberty with, the like, kind of the concept of optimism, but the one area that I actually think optimism is is bad for lack of a more creative way to put it is kind of the way that it's affected hip hop discourse. I think, you know, the, I hate to use the term, you know, like mumble rap or, or like, you know, that kind of stuff just because yeah. it's not, it's not even that specific type of hip hop. It's just that I feel like the optimism of hip hop um, criticism has kind of shifted away from lyrics. And I'm, I don't want to sound like a backpacker, I don't want to sound like, you know, you have to be like an old head. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you don't have to be Aesop rock to be a good rapper, but I feel like some of the, some of the hip, like the hip hop records that get ranked really highly on your end list and just get talked about really highly are just vapid and bad. And it, it relies a lot about, you know, I think young thug is a great, like young thug has made a career out of, you know, creating a vibe and like how he rides yeah. beats and how he sounds. But then when you can understand him, it's like, this is 
bad lyricism. Like, and I don't know if you know this, but lyrics have traditionally been pretty important in hip hop. So I feel like I, they, I feel like, I, I feel like they're the main part of hip hop. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty decent argument. Um, but I think that's that's when, you know, like I, I've never been the biggest Beyonce fan, but to say that her music is not well crafted and she's not a good singer, like, I think that's a hard argument. So oh, yeah, like 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 I told you, you you can acknowledge, but I think that's when optimism becomes like the, I guess the two areas where optimism becomes an issue is one when it becomes kind of a cover or like it, it softens, it softens criticism or like you, you, you kind of let something yeah. slide. Cause you know, again, it deserves equal consideration, but yeah. that, that, me- that you means know, equal consideration just because it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's mainstream pop. It's fun. We can kind of be, go a little easy on it. Well, it, no, I don't it, think we it's, should. It's kind of, it's, it's like, um, I mean, to use sort of, you know, uh, like a correlation a little bit, like a different example. Um, it's, it's kind of like how people will sometimes dismiss like a children's movie, um, as like, you know, va- like vapid or what have yeah, you. As, as if there um, are fantastically made kids. Movies. Exactly. Like, you know, be, just, just because it, this one thing is aimed at a different audience doesn't mean that it does, it, it falls under different merits of criticism you know, it can still be bad and it can still be good, you know, and it doesn't have to be less because of one thing or another. Yeah. And I feel because of what it is. And I feel like that creates a vicious cycle. And, and thankfully it hasn't, you know, like Pixar has created, you know, umpteen million yeah. great, great kids movies. But like, let's say we took that to its logical extent. And I think the hip hop example I just gave is, is a great example. Of this is, you know, let's let's treat this with kid gloves or be a little softer about it. Oh, it's just pop music. It's just fun. Okay. Well then that influences another generation and just, you keep like, it just moves the goal, whatever the opposite of moving the goalposts is like, you're not raising your expectations. You're lowering, like you're lowering the goalposts where like you're, 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 you're more and more comfortable accepting worse and worse quality, which is, I think, I think kids movies is a great example. Like if you're used to, you know, basically like the film equivalent of uncle grandpa where it's just random noises and sounds and, and <laughs> like no plot. And it's just nonsensical. And you just keep saying, yep, that's fine. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Well, you, you know, you, you played yourself at that. Yeah. Point. I, I, I feel like to slightly play devil's advocate. I, I, I feel like culture, you know, and I think, you know, people as a whole have a tendency, you know, like a lot of our cultural, you know, uh, norms and, you know, thoughts, um, often are, are very cyclical. Um, you know, I mean, you can just go to punk, you know, as just a great idea of that is, you know, like punk originated because people were getting fucking sick of like the Beatles, you know, and like, you know, bands like that, they, they were like, this is way too overproduced, whatnot. And, you know, like, fuck it, let's put on some chains and, and you know, just scream on stage for a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and, they, you know, trying to, get, trying to get back to, like, that authenticity. And, I mean, you know, it's... So, so I feel like, while I, I think you're right that the bar, I think, is being lowered in a way, um, I feel like there's also... Uh, I, I feel like there's always an opposition, however in the minority they might be. And I feel like those people end up sort of having their own wave in a way. Uh, what, what I think is almost the bigger problem here, I think with all of this in mind, is that we're still dividing everything into these two categories. Like, And I, I, I don't mean it that like the whole high and low art. I think it's more like okay, like if we take mumble rap or, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm just going to use that for for just for just the the, 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 the the sake of ease right now. Mumble rap versus like you know, an abstract hip hop sort of thing that, you know, you sort of have these two people that are going, you know, these two groups that are going so they're diverging so far away from each other that, you know, any, any artist that's trying to do something in the middle is, you know, in a really tough position in a way, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it feels like the audiences for both of those things are further and further away from each other Mm -hmm. in a way. And so like, you know, I, I see this a lot with um, with like science fiction and like I, I see this a lot with like uh, literature in general that you have a lot of people who are, you know, just so firmly in sort of the genre territory and then you have people who are just so firmly in sort of like an academic literary writing sort of territory. And I, I am a fan of both of those. 
mm-hmm. uh, very much. And, you know, one of my goals as a writer is to try to merge those two worlds. And it, it is something that is gaining traction a little bit and, you know, has been a thing for a little bit, but it's still not quite there. And it's, you know, it, it's just frustrating because, you know, it's, it's just it's so difficult to to come and meet in the middle of that uh, because, you know, it feels like no sci-fi fan wants a novel that's written like a literary novel and no literary, you know, fan wants, you know, uh, a science fiction setting. So, you know, it's, it, it just feels like a lose lose. And like, that's, that, that's kind of the shitty part is, is that we're sort of letting uh division sort of, you know, take everything and sort of, you know, like just further dichotomize everything. Um, I, I think if you don't, if, you'll allow me um i kind of wanted to shift this over very very slightly just um because the there was a quote that i really liked from uh saul osterlitz's article um that i thought was interesting and just in terms of that like it feels like music is one of the few like if we're talking about poptimism anyway it feels like it's one of the few um uh mediums you know creative mediums that is you know being affected by this this mentality you know, uh, he, he says, um, I spent most of my time, professionally speaking, writing about movies and books. And during quiet moments, I like to entertain myself by imagining what might happen if the equivalent of optimism were to transform those other disciplines. A significant subset of book reviewers would turn up their noses at every mention of Jhumpa Lahiri and James Salter as representatives of snobbish, boring novels for the elite and argued that to be a worthy critic engaged with mass culture, you would have to direct the bulk of your critical attention to the likes of Dan Brown and Stephanie Meyer. Movie critics would be enjoined from devoting too much of their time to 12 Years a Slave, box office take 56 million, or The Great Beauty, 2.7 million, lest they fail to adequately analyze the majesty that is Thor the Dark World, 206.2 million. What if the new what if New York food critics insisted on on banging on about the virtues of Wendy's spicy Chipotle Jr. cheeseburger? No matter <laughs> the field, a critic's job is to argue and plead for the underappreciated, not just to cheer on the winners, which I think is is kind of, you know, to kind of sort of tie a bow in a way on what we were you were talking about previously. Um it, it's just fascinating that that like you know, it, like he said you you don't really see that too often you know in in other mediums yeah you see it much i mean i'm thinking you're trying to think of top of my head i mean like the the dark knight series was probably like one of the few you know comic book hero movies that really like had a cross appeal you know lord of the rings also comes to mind um yeah but, I mean, but I, yeah i'm thinking more from like the critics perspective just like you you, you know like I think there's someone like uh, like your movie sucks does um, a pretty good job of sort of you know sort of blending those two that you know he will talk about you know the latest superhero movie even though it's not always usually positive but he'll also you know be talking about an art film that just came out from like Toronto Film Festival. So. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I was saying is that usually like you're not going to see you know super high or super film critics. Traditional film critics are not going to take your average superhero movie seriously, but I felt like, or action movie, I felt like Lord of the Rings and Dark Knight was kind of an exception to that. But to, to your point, mm. that's pretty few and far between, just because I think in general, the genre, yeah, I think that's a good point. The music, and maybe it's just because, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I my, my, my best guess is that I think, one, music is much more accessible, like freely accessible than anything else because i mean you have to pay for a book you know unless you go to the library which i mean libraries are dying you know mm-hmm. um but i think you know to you know it's i i think music is just i would probably argue the most immediate art form out of all of the mediums right now um you know it, it you know just in terms of you know you can watch a movie that changes your life but at the same time, you know, it's very easy to get, you know, to be able to shake your booty, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, and I just think there's more going on in a movie to critique. Like, you know, you, you maybe, mm. you know, the special effects are cool, but the plot is is shit and vice versa. Whereas, 
I mean, what, what, what about Michael Bay? <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, I mean, not to simplify music criticism, but I mean, a good hook's a good hook. Like it just kind of yeah. uh, like on an album length scale. I mean, I think maybe that's one of the other reasons that there's a little bit as everyone loves a good pop hook or, or maybe not pop, but everyone loves a good catchy hook or like a memorable songwriting. And I think, again, this is a, a sweeping generalization, but I feel like people will probably agree that it's, it's not incorrect. Um, I feel like pop mainstream pop music. I mean, it's just not written for the album format anymore. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's written. I mean, we've talked about stream trolling before. We've talked about. I mean, obviously, I, they, they, it's not to say that there aren't good pop albums, though. Yeah, I just, I mean, on like the mainstream level, you know, I don't, I just don't think that's paramount concern. Writing like a well, you know, it's not meant to be listened to as an album. I mean, you can. It's just meant mm. to like more of a collection of hits that will play on radio or you know nowadays will play on streaming services. Yeah, it, um, it, it's it's more like the album is like a formality in a way, as opposed to sort of the center of attention. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's the mode with which they deliver the music, but it's just, I mean, that, that's, that's where it starts and ends. What, you know, how that's constructed is not as important. It's just getting, you know, getting that out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely nearing the end of our time. We still have a little bit to go. If, if, if you have any other thoughts, I'm I'm kind of I feel like I've I've kind of said my due in a way. Yeah, I mean um, this it, it's a little bit of a I want to say I don't want to say messy topic, but it's just it's not as I mean I think the one thing that was was kind of constructive in my thinking about it is that it really isn't inherently a negative or positive thing. I think again it really depends on your vantage for, point for sure. It depends, depends on yeah. like how you're approaching the idea of should mainstream pop be covered, you know, on one end, you're basically democratizing or not democratizing. You're basically, you know, you're, you're widening the net of what is legitimate music to discuss. And on the other hand, you're kind of diminishing criticism. So I think, I mean, the only time I, I ultimately like the, like the concept that more music is more music being covered is a good thing because certainly there's, plenty of obscure genres, metal specifically, that aren't yeah. covered as much that I would, you know, it's kind of hypocritical to want one direction to be covered more, but not the other direction. Um, I think, I mainly think it as a negative when it affects the way critics recommend and discuss music and, and kind of what they spend time covering and what they don't. And also examples like the Taylor Swift 1989 example I talked about at the start of the episode, where it really felt like they were just trying to kind of force in like an artist that they hadn't really covered but suddenly they're like well now we're owned by Condé Nast now we have a new audience let's just like kind of hand fist this in um mm. I think what it's yeah. done just just to include that kind of artist as part of your coverage just for you know the the sheer just just for the sheer mention versus whether or not it's actually worth covering I think that's when I think it's negative but overall I mean I, I think I land that all music should be covered if it's worth covering regardless yeah. of what it, what it happens to be. Yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, it's I I I guess I mean, I feel like my take was probably more negative, but I think it's more negative in a um in sort of a meta sense, just in that I I find the whole like sort of argument to be kind of specious at times and just just kind of like extraneous and unnecessary and you know, just overall in some ways taking away from the overall enjoyment of music uh which i mean to be fair is is a common criticism i have of of a lot of of you know critics and sort of the idea of of like sort of media criticism as it is right now mm -hmm. um so you know that's <laughs> i guess that that whole thing is you know i mean i think we, we've had uh you know a critics conundrum episode so i feel like i i would probably point people in that direction to talk if you wanted to you know hear our thoughts on that a little more um mm -hmm. but yeah okay if if you don't have um anything else to add i i think you just want to talk about um albums of the week yeah yeah um mine's pretty easy because uh, I saw Slipknot on Friday, and <laughs> and 
in the lead up and cool down from that. I listened to a lot of Slipknot. Uh, so I have to, I think previously I picked volume three as my album of the week. So I'm going to go that, with that. does sound right. I, yeah. I remember you, you did have a Slipknot album. I'm try, I'm actually looking that up right now. Yeah. Just to, uh, but, but I'm going to have to go with just because, uh, these were the songs that were most fun live. You know, this is kind of where it started for me. Uh, their self-titled debut. Um, I mean, there are kind of three buckets of bands I've seen live. The young band that will just like play songs pretty much nonstop. Um, the kind of like middle-aged bands that will play maybe a couple songs in the row, but will take long breaks. And then and, and the older bands, and I, I'm thinking of like when I saw Morbid Angel, they would play like one song, take like seemingly like a two, three, four, five minute break. And just like, they clearly were just laboring to try to play these songs. Slipknot was kind of in the middle. Like they they had a, a couple, you know, two song sets or like two song, you know, groupings, and then they would take a little bit of a break. But the the cool thing was, there in between songs, they would play some really like spooky effects. Their stage show was phenomenal. Um, I, I had a really did, really. Did it not remind you of the uh, the opening scene from Triple X, though? Oh, I haven't. I was too young when Triple X came out. Uh, because yeah, the, I mean that that's basically like Romstein is like has like that almost that exact same stage setup, oh. just I think on a bigger scale. And you know it's, like, it's full of Romstein shit, so you know they they've got like you know the fucking flamethrowers and shit. So, yeah. but oh, but yeah, man. yeah, it, the, the the pics you sent me were really cool looking. No, like, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and definitely they had actually a pretty good mix of newer songs. Um, I think every. All Hope Is Gone only had one. They played Psychosocial, which obviously they're going to play that. It's one of their bigger songs. But the other albums each had at least three songs played for them. But all of the old old material they played from the self-titled was just, it hit different live. Everyone, you know, because I, I think, I mean, this this makes sense. Everyone there knew the stuff in their self-titled. But, like, some of the newer mm -hmm. stuff, like, some of the newer stuff, like, there are a couple of the newer songs I recognize, but I haven't, I don't know that well, and a couple of them I had never heard before. Um, so it was amazing to see those songs live, and it was crazy how I mean they still sound really good. I know Corey Taylor, uh, I don't know if you, I mean I know you're not a huge fan, but after their second album, he like really really fucked up his vocal cords. Like that's why between I, I thought I'd heard that. Yeah, between the self-titled in Iowa and then the rest of their albums, it's noticeable that he starts singing and screaming in a different way and that's just because he he had to like the way he was doing yeah. it was not. Um it, It's super dangerous to do if you're not trained right. Exactly, it. exactly. And I just man, it was just so like it's one of those it was one of those experiences where like you know, listening to the album before the concert like got me hyped up and then listening to it after the concert, like I was even more just because like it made me fall because <laughs> it made me fall in love with them all over again because it, we bought these tickets in June, my my friend Ryan and I, and he texted. Which I, can, can I just say I think it's really funny to see Ryan going to Slipknot. He is he actually he loves the yeah like I forgot how much he loves Slipknot. Um, but yeah, it's just he, so funny to him. For he me, texted but... me like a week before the concert was like we still want to go to see Slipknot and I was like oh like was that something he mentioned to me and I forgot. And then I checked, and I like, I, yeah, I downloaded for the tickets like in the summer. And I was like, holy shit! I turned to Lauren, and I was like, I'm going to see Slipknot next week. And she's like, all right, cool, good for you. Which coincidentally <laughs> didn't was that Saturday night or was that your anniversary? It was it was it was Friday night. Um, okay, all right, all right. So yeah, it was. But actually, we got invited to a family barbecue on Saturday, and I was like, we didn't see each other at all during the day on Friday because we worked, and then I was gone like all night and got home at like two in the you know, like one in the morning. So I, I can't like our, our, our anniversary weekend. I can't like not see her on Friday because I'm going to see a metal show I listened to when I was in middle school. Um, and, then, and then like Saturday, I'm going like I'm gone at, at like a family thing. It's like, nah, I think that I think we'd have some words. Um, but love you, babe. But yeah, for sure. I mean, like I know we texted about this a little bit, but I would really love to because I'm not just saying this. Um, like I genuinely believe this. I think there's some genuinely experimental tracks on their self-titled album i mean i mean i i i wrote a heavy blog article about this years and years ago uh in defense of new metal because I, I and i still hold this to be true i think new metal is experimental you know i uh, is it experimental in sort of the grand you know 
you know, scheme of things. Uh, no, but like, you know, to take metal and hip hop and just bam, just put them together, man. Like you, you, you saw that, you know, I think what run DMC and uh, Aerosmith doing like walk this way and mm-hmm. like anthrax and public enemy doing bring the noise, but like, never to the level of like yeah like what slipknot and like you know all these people didn't it's like yeah a lot of it's super cringy but it's still like still pretty out there you know when you really think about it and you just think about how disparate those two worlds were for a very long time and arguably still are in a way yeah and i was doing it i mean yeah the the way you know like a song like spit it out which has like jump the fuck up new metal riffs and like Corey Taylor like actually spitting some game, spitting some bars, um, <laughs> but there are some tracks that are like really like dark, weird, like bizarre, experimental. Like it's it's a pretty eclectic record, and yeah, I mean some of like, <laughs> I mean this isn't on the self title, but you know the song "People Equal Shit" off of, <laughs> off of Iowa. I remember I sent I sent I got a picture of the stage where they had like you know yeah. flashing lights people with shit and i sent it to lauren and she literally sent an lol emoji and she's like is that like actually one of their songs i'm like listen man it spoke to me at a certain point and i guess it still does <laughs> what when uh when you sent me those photos uh, i was like i was looking at it for a second i'm like people equal shit i'm like why does that sound familiar and then then like it, it kind of clicked because I, yeah. I, for some reason I, I wasn't thinking that slipknot was even touring right now but yeah, because yeah. they released their new album or their newest album. I'm pretty sure it was 2019, and then they obviously couldn't tour it in 2020 for obvious yeah. reasons. So yeah, I, I think that they weren't necessarily doing it out. They were just doing a catch-up tour, you know, where they finally they could tour. I mean, a ton of bands are doing that. Like they're trying to recoup, mm. recoup you know, money that was lost and trying to actually. Uh, we missed. Code Orange, which, I mean, I do think that they would have been heavy and fun live, but I don't really like their music. I have no idea who Fever 333 is. Never heard them in my life. life. Um, or never heard that. I mean, I know who they are, but I've never listened to them. And Killswitch was great. Uh, I forgot how much I liked them, too. Um, <laughs> it, it was there fun. is love yeah. um, burning to find you. <laughs> it was funny because yeah. Ryan, Ryan was like... Uh, like wow, the lead singer's changed a lot. Like he used to be a lot, he used to be a lot heavier, and like I think he used to be black. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's funny. It, it's it's funny because with Killswitch, I like because he rejoined the band. Like their current vocalist was actually their first vocalist. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think and, he's and then uh, Howard left. Yeah, yeah, I think Howard is a better singer, but a much weaker screamer. And I kind of think Jesse. Is the is the opposite? I don't think he's a bad singer. Just I think Howard is voice is much better. But um, they had a lot of fun. They were fun live. Um, yeah, I bet. I, I forgot yeah. that they were local because they actually started talking about the Sox game, um, which is funny. Oh, they, yeah. they, they, I, they... I, I do forget about that. Like just how like how huge Massachusetts metalcore is or was, I guess. Yeah, they were from um, Westfield, Massachusetts, which is not. Not a fact I knew. I just Googled it. Wouldn't that be crazy if I just randomly remembered where they were from? <laughs> uh, I don't know where Westfield is. Oh, wow. That's like... I, isn't like that the, like near Springfield? Yeah, yeah. It's near, oh, okay. Well, yeah. You, yeah, you grew up in Mass, so you would know. Oh, no. I, it's like I, I grew up in the Metro West area. I, I didn't yeah. grow any... Like, I wasn't anywhere near Springfield, but um, I just, you know... I, I, I remember looking into uh, all the Massachusetts metalcore bands. Like, I think Shadows Fall over Massachusetts, oh, too. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, like you know, people like converge, but like, yeah, you know, I'm talking about like the like, the the like the bad middlecore in a way, like yeah. which which is I know d- dismissive. I I I'm just I'm talking about like the, I guess like what they call like melodic metalcore. Yeah. Nowadays. By yeah. The, by the way, did you know? And this is before. This is like one, been one of the longest album of the weeks ever. But did you know they're doing a reunion show? And, but Shadows Fall. They're doing Shadows Fall is doing his reunion show at the Palladium, but I don't think that they're reuniting. I think they are just coming what? together to do. Yeah, they're do, they're they're doing a reunion show, but not a tour or like doing an album. Oh, which I don't. I don't That's know if interesting. I. Yeah, I don't. I mean, like what? I mean, you do you. I mean, Obviously, people people maybe, are gonna come. Maybe maybe they're doing their own thing. Like you know, maybe they all have their own lives now. Yeah, I mean, like, and clearly, I don't blame them because, 
you know, they're headlining, obviously, but then they're being supported by Unearthed and Darkest Hour, along with the, you know, oh, some, shit. some smaller bands. So in terms oh, of man, in terms of like metalcore from that era, era, that's a that's a pretty stacked uh, yeah. bill. Yeah, like like that 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 that's freaking like that that's an amuse bouge of like you know, I, I, did I say amuse amuse bouge of uh you know. 2010-ish metalcore, man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard the term bouge bouge, but I am definitely going to use it because like that—that's a fun-ass phrase to say. Oh, dude, yeah, a bouge bouge is is a really is a really nice little uh, <laughs> little phrase, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, that, 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 that's that's what I went to school for to to just learn that word, and then I uh, I was out of there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we I we've gone a while. I haven't talked about my album of the week yet, so I feel like I sh- probably should. Um. Yeah, I was actually really surprised by this uh, because I've been trying to get through like my to listen list even more, and uh, yeah, I this is a new album and I was very very blown away by it. It is uh, Bright Green Field by the band Squid. Um, oh, yeah, that that was which, a really fun record. Yeah, yeah, like it, I mean, I I was looking in, you know, it was one of those like you know I'd heard about it and you know like they come from like the same scene as like Black Midi and um, Black Country New Road. You know, and um, yeah, I, I gotta say, I I probably like it. Like I, I I like I. So I think I've mentioned that I I actually write down everything I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and but lately, for like the past month or two, I've been writing down like sort of little thoughts on everything I listen to as well. And um, I basically just wrote down for this one. I'm like, this is like I like. I wish people paid. I wish people gave this album and this band the attention that Black Midi gets. <laughs> like, because like this was actually like interesting the whole way through. It felt like it justified its runtime, even though it, you know it's it was it was a long album, but I felt like every minute of it actually made sense. You know, I I just felt like it was better than Black Midi on basically every conceivable level. And it's just like yet, you know. I, I mean, I I I feel like it's just because Black Midi has the name now, you know, because they, you know, they they kind of have that recognition now, in a way. But I mean, I I, mean, I like I I think I'm really splitting hairs because if you go to like rate your music, it's it's like maybe two spots below, you know, Black Midi at this point. Yeah. But still, I I just like I really love this thing. Like I you know. I was actually looking and like they have CD versions of it, so like I'm really tempted to just go to Bull Moose and just get a copy of this and just like you know just because it was it was just fun like it was fun to listen to and like yeah. it was out there but it wasn't like it, it it didn't make you feel like shit if you like didn't quote unquote get it in a way like like I feel like seeing Squid live would be like you know they they'd all be like you know pounding beers in a way. And like you know, if 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 you didn't understand what's going on, they'd be like, "Don't worry about it, mate." You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll just just like you know, rounds on us. <laughs> yeah. Just like it was, it was just good times, but it was also like fucking bizarre music, and the singer is like you know, just I mean, his vocals are really insane at some points, and I loved it. Yeah. Just yeah. A fucking I, great album. I will say, I think. I think Black Midi has higher highs, but Squid and, and of the scene, I, I I think Black Country New Road still my favorite. But yeah, Squid was far more, you know, very much in the same vein, but far more consistent than Black Midi. Like I felt like the entire album, I vibed with it all the way through, and it wasn't like mm. it wasn't like Cavalcade where I was like ready to fucking jump through a wall after <laughs> um after John L. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then like yeah. the pacing of the rest of the record kind of left me like a roller coaster. So yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you listened to that because it definitely is something that's very much up your alley. Oh yeah, yeah. It really. I mean, it's like I, I've been meaning to listen to it for like most of this year. I, I just finally got around to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I will say with I don't know. See, like like John Ellard, John Fifty. I think it's it's technically called, but um, it is it's a it's a cool song and like when we were reviewing um that black midi album like i really enjoyed listening to it but the thing is like it's so like i think i listened to it so many times now that i'm just like i don't know if i have it in me like because it, it, it's a very distinctive song and so like i don't know it, it just I, I don't know if i could really like 
put that on again and like feel the same. Not to mention it gets like stuck in my head for like a few days afterwards for some reason. Just like that word, you know? <laughs> um, where it's like, I don't know, like I felt like there were a bunch of moments on, on Bright Greenfield that I could really just kind of latch on to, but not in a way that got annoying. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I really, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going to Bull Moose at some point soon. So, um, we'll see, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm glad right. you. I mean, it, it honestly felt like a record that you would have already listened to. Otherwise, I, I would would have recommended. Yeah, it, I, it's, uh... I, I, yeah, I know. I, I I really like. I'm I'm kind of mad I didn't listen to it sooner. But I think maybe it's it's good because it was kind of just like right place, right time, kind of. Um, yeah. All right. Well, but I think speaking um, of squid, yeah, speaking of squid, I'm going to uh, I'm going to watch Squid Game. <laughs> after we finish this, which is one of the few like Netflix phenomenon that I actually think is worth the Squid hype. Squid Game? I, yeah, it's it's a really interesting Korean TV show, like Netflix special or Netflix original that uh, Lauren I, and I are, I've never heard of this, but I am it, I'm very out of the loop. That, I was saying, that actually makes sense because you're not really on social media because if you if you had a pulse and have been on social media, it's been shoved in your I mean, face I, for a while. I don't, I don't have either. So, <laughs> well, this has been you know, the, my, 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 the my doctors are really worried. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they, they, they're more worried about my lack of social media presence, though. <laughs> Just, um, okay, uh, yeah, but we'll we'll be back next week. So, thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, we're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.